different stuff. Hey, I wanted to tell you, just encourage, i got a few encouraging things to say to you. Maybe one or two things, and the rest of it might not be so encouraging. <laughs> First of all, I want to tell you, God is not nearly as uptight as we are. He's really not. He He's just not uptight. You know, we're uptight about things. Like, is this person doing, what are they doing? You know, but that is not how God is. He's just a, a God of liberty. You know how you are with little children? You know, they're having a great time. That's the way God is with us. He's just, he enjoys us. He really does enjoy us. And he wants you to, I think he wants to, really, I think a great word for uh, the church is lighten up. I mean, really. That's, we're carrying all this stuff on us, and this heaviness gets on us, and that is not the way heaven is. Heaven is just not heavy and all uptight all the time. This world is. And really what God wants us to be able to do is connect with the spiritual realm and to be able to see the spiritual realm so we can release that into this earth realm. Okay? That's really what he wants us to do. And Paul the Apostle said, he clearly stated, this is clearly in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 4.18, the reason that he was not discouraged or the reason he wasn't downtrodden and losing the heart in his life is because he saw the invisible. That was his clear answer for discouragement, for losing heart, was seeing something that everybody else wasn't seeing. And that's and we've all been given the gift to be able to see. We all have eyes to see. Every every person in this room, you have the ability to see to see the invisible. Uh, you know, another place Paul calls it the eyes of our faith. It's called the eyes of our understanding by some translation, but it's really the eyes of our heart that has the ability to see the invisible world. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the spiritual world. Uh, one of the things I wanted to share with you is uh, the Lord was showing me a lot lately is one of the ways that God communicates is through colors, right? You know, rainbows are colors. Uh, and one of the colors that I've been getting a lot lately is a color I just really do not like at all. It's pink. <laughs> and I'm having to sort of repent for not liking pink. Because I found out that pink means intimacy. Okay, it means purity. And God is really, I believe he's calling the church into an intimacy right now. Uh, to really have a relationship with him. A personal relationship. That's really, to me, the personal relationship has more emphasis than the corporate relationship right now. There's times when the corporate relationship, really, God really, really is real intense on that. But there's also uh, more, a greater thing than we all have is, is, is our intimacy with the Lord. Paul warned us in, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 11, that one of the enemy's great tactics in the day is to, to deceive us and trick us from our sing, what he calls single-hearted devotion to the Lord. Single-hearted devotion. That's, that's relationship. And the enemy, won't, just, he said, just as the enemy deceived Eve from that relationship, that's what he wants to do with us. And you find in the Bible, in uh, Revelations, you know, where the, the churches, Revelations 2, when the Lord began to speak to the churches, he spoke to one church. The first church he spoke to was the church at Ephesus, which was the greatest church in the New Testament. It had the greatest move of God, the greatest revival of any other place. It was a remarkable move of God that lasted for years, that profoundly touched 
it really says it touched everybody in Asia. The whole, the whole world around there was completely touched by what God was doing. Yet years later, the Lord came to him and, and started talking to him and said, "You guys, y'all are a great church. Y'all have look. You're like apostles. You have you've done so much. You know you have. You know he's like he gave a list of things that all of us would just like. Lord, that would I wish we would be that way. But then he said one thing. I got one thing against you." You left your first love. The most important thing that you that was in your life, the most important thing there is, you let that escape you. Even though you've done all this other wonderful thing, I really have that against you because you've forsaken me. You know, you, you broke your relationship with me. And see, you know, it's easy for us as believers to get into the other realm so much that we forget what's really important. Is that communion with the Lord and being connected with the Lord, our union with Christ, that we stay vitally connected with Him. And that really is the greatest message for us. And I believe right now, I believe that's what the pink is. You know, I, I was reading about colors, and uh, you know why the, the sky... Now, I know you Carolina fans have a thought about this. You know, the, the sky is Carolina blue, right? And then the UNCC fans say the grass is mean green. You know, that's how God created it. Y'all ain't need many Carolina fans in here, are they? Well, where's Kevin? He's a UNCC man. You know, that's what the name of our team is, the Mean Green. And the 49ers and other things. But I don't really understand that. But really what it is is blue and green are very calming, soothing colors. And see, the Lord created the sky blue and the grass green because He knows the world we live in it's such a traumatizing world. And that he even gave us colors to help us, literally to help us live a life of being at peace and live a life of a calmness around instead of, you know, something that's real abrupt, that's abrasive colors. Isn't that powerful how God is so good? But So God does speak through colors. I know lots of times I'll, I'll get colors over people. And, you know, somehow it's kind of weird. Anybody else get colors? One person. Well, come on, ask the Lord to give you colors because they speak something. They mean something. They reveal something. You know, there's lots of ways that God speaks, and, and colors is is really one of them. Thank you, Lord. Woo! Mercy, Lord. Well, Lord wants to get everybody into the blast round. You know what the blast round is? Anybody know what the blast round is? It's when you feel blasted by God. Now, God is really into feelings. I'm going to tell you that right now. We don't live by feelings. We live by faith, but feelings follow faith. Okay, we, God would not have created us with the emotions and feelers, feeling senses that we have if He didn't want us to feel Him and sense Him. Feel His pleasure. Feel the emotions of God. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be terrible to be married to a person that you never felt their affections? They could tell you all day, I love you, I love you, I love you. They could do everything uh, that love says to do, you know, but they never, you never felt that. You'd think something's wrong with this thing. Something's wrong with this marriage. Well, that's the way it is with God. He wants us to know there's nothing wrong with this. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to let you feel my presence. How many people in here feel the presence of the Lord from time to time? If you've never felt the presence of the Lord, the Lord's telling you today He wants you to feel His presence. Once you start feeling it, you, you're rolling for everything. It's really, an, it's really addicting, I'm telling you. But it's a good addiction. If there could be such a thing, that one is. So I believe the Lord really, that's a couple of really important things. Number one, 
is communion with the Lord, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, the affections and feelings of God in your life. Are you sensing Him? Are you feeling Him? You can. He's created you with the capacity to. He wants you to. So, now, let me give you this message. This, that was the encouraging part, right? All right, this, remember last week I was started talking to you, I said this is the snowflake message. Does anybody remember the snowflake message? And I stole that from Becky, the snowflake revelation. She's, one of these days she will share her snowflake revelation. Of course, I said that no two snowflakes are alike, but nobody can actually prove that, okay? God does create each, all of us uniquely. We're all unique creations, okay? And so, you know, I began this journey of being a unique creation when I, this thought came to me, living from the heart. That was how God began to communicate that to me, is, Byron, you need to live from your heart. And I began this journey of learning how to live from my heart because that's how God knows us. The Scripture is real clear that God knows a man by the heart. He doesn't know, know us by the outward. He knows us by the inward. Now, there's other, other terms that have come in, into our vocabulary since those days. Like one of them is your authentic self. Have you all heard that term, your authentic? That's a great, be your authentic self. Another one, be your true self, your true self. Those are awesome terms. They're real terms. And that, I believe, is the one key for me, and I believe it is the key for connecting with the invisible world because you're living from your heart. Your heart is the place that connects with the spiritual world. Okay? In fact, I could... Some of y'all don't remember the when I used to talk... I talked to some a few years ago about your dianoia. That's the part of you. Okay? That's a Greek word, dianoia. That's the part of you. That's the eyes of your heart. Actually, that's a part of of a man's part of us that's between the spirit man and the soul man. Your dianoia is that place. It's like the doorway to outside inside. That's the part. And that word is used many times, and it's a Greek word, many times in the New Testament. It's a part of our hearts. That's interesting, isn't it? So, and if you remember, I talked to you right from the start, the devil, his first thing he went after, when he went after man, he went after our image, number one, of God and our image of ourself. Remember that? God, that The devil was attacked our image. And if he knew if he could pervert our, the image of who we believe, who God is, it would, it would pervert the image of ourself. Okay? And so man fell because man lost his image of God and man lost his, image of his, his true image of himself. And, so, if, and you, so you can go through the whole Bible and see how... how God points out different people that he's trying to bring them into their true self. Like, for instance, you have Abram, who began as Abram, but he became Abraham. God was calling forth Abram to be Abraham. Abram wasn't the real man. See, Abram was the, was the old man. He was the fallen man. He was the, but the real man that God created him was Abraham, the father of faith. You see this with Moses. Moses started out in his life as the prince of Egypt. He was, he was a Jew... He was a good Jewish boy who got adopted into the Egyptian culture, became an Egyptian prince. But one day, God began to deal with him and calling him out of Egypt to become the real person, the deliverer. That, and unfortunately, it took him 40 years, you know, to, to make that. That's a little bit too long for me, right? You know, 97, 
and I started now, and I, I'd be 97 years old. Like, man, it took me not, you know, I'd be 97. That'd be kind of bad. You'd be at the end of your life and just find out who you really are. Uh, here's another great example. is Saul of Tarsus. No, not Saul of Tarsus. Saul in the Old Testament. There's a Saul of Tarsus in it. Saul in the Old Testament, he was one of the most insecure people in the entire Bible. Okay, he was one of the most insecure people in, in, in the entire Bible. And, and you, if you study your life, you, his life, you will begin to see how Saul failed as a king because of his self-image was so warped and, and messed up. He could not see himself right. He clamored for people. to. He constantly needed reassurance. He constantly needed the people to be around him to support him. He couldn't live without it, and he sinned over those things. You, you know, you get in all kinds of... But then this young man came up one day named David, who the Bible says something interesting. You know, David was going to replace Saul. The Lord sent Samuel to his house to find the new king and one of Jesse's sons. And Samuel went, in, went into the house, and, and all the brothers were there except David. David was, they just didn't even call David in because he was a young guy. They didn't think he deserved to be there. Nobody's going to pick David to be the king. Okay. And Samuel was there, and he picked this one guy, that one of David's brothers, who was a big, beautiful man. And the Lord said, don't look at his outward appearance, because the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, that's where it, I, the Lord knows a person by their heart, not by their outward. And they wound up saying, well, we've got one more kid. It's, Jess, it's David. So they hauled Jesse in. The Bible says something interesting. It says his eyes were bright. His eyes were, you know, your eyes are the window of your soul. And you see, David somehow in his life found out who he really was. And he was living, I'm sorry, spitting. That's a spitting preacher. <laughs> Anyways, it's just Heather. <laughs> Don't tell her, I'm only mad at me. <laughs> David, he was bright-eyed. They're talking about that David was living out of who he really was. That's what attracted God to David. That God saw this kid out here, this young man, that was truly being himself. And God said, that's my man. That's the man I want. I want somebody who's going to be real to who they are on the inside. They're secure. They know who they are. They're not looking to be something. They're not, they don't need all these things around them. I can trust them with the kingdom. Isn't that powerful? Well, David was immediately tested on this thing. Uh, he went out and had this encounter with Goliath, the big guy. You know, the big guy was out there doing all this trash talk and threatening everybody, you know, just pushing people around. And David was going to go fight the dude. And Saul said, here, David, here's my armor. Put my armor on you. Now, see, that's really the way this thing works. That's a picture of how the world works, how the thing is. You know, Saul was a big man himself, a powerful man in the physical he probably had uh, armor, the coat of armor, uh, you know, the, the thing they wore. It was probably big. It was probably impressive. It probably looked good. David put it on and said, I can't do this. It just don't work for me. David's armor was a slingshot. That's all he had was a little slingshot. Yet that's how he took Goliath down. He didn't try to be something he wasn't. See, and you see, that's what the devil is constantly doing to everybody. He's trying to put something on us. This looks good. Have, watched, have you watched television, commercials on television? You'll feel like nothing you have measures up. You know, the house you live in is not good enough. The clothes you wear is not good enough. Your hair, your hair is ugly. You know what I mean? That's what it's telling us over and over and over. 
you're not good enough. If you'll get this, if you put this on, if you have to drive this kind of car, if you drive this BMW, you're going to be cool, man. You know, you're going to be, you're going to arrive. That's, that's what this communicates. That's what the world communicates to us. And uh, so David wouldn't do it. Then you, then you go on up into the New Testament, and you find Peter, who was originally Simon, which that word means reed, okay, which means unstable, and it really describes Peter's life. But the Lord one day said, hey, Peter, listen, you may be reed, but you shall become a chip off the old block. Because that's what it literally means. You ever heard that term, that boy's a chip off the old block? Well, he was a pebble off the rock. And the rock being Christ. Isn't that a powerful thing? You know, I told somebody recently, my grandson, well, he's just a, because he's squirmy. He don't sit still. And somebody was noticing how he's always been. I said, well, he's a chip off the old block. His daddy was just like that when he was a little boy. You know? And so Peter, that's, that was a powerful word. And Peter went through some stuff, but he became a chip off the old block. He became a solid man. You know, one of the foundations for the church Peter became that. Isn't that powerful? He became that because the Lord was looking at him, not for who he was at that moment, but for who he really was. He, God looked into his heart and saw the real person in there and called it forth. Are y'all getting this? And see, that's really where, where God wants to retrain us. Because we look at a person, we see how they act, we see how they dress, we see this, that, and the other, but none of that's really how God looks at them. Even the even you know, even the positive, it could be very deceptive. Deceptive. And a, and a person who <laughs> I'm tired. That's why I feel. Boy, I'm tired. A person who you know is acting bad. God looks in that person, but He don't see them acting bad. He sees the real person in there. And see what that's one of the great things about having your eyes of your heart. I mean, you can begin to look past the person's outward and look into their heart. And you can see into people's hearts, and you can begin to speak to their hearts. And when you begin to speak their destiny, you're calling forth who they really are. Are y'all following this? You're calling forth their real self. And see, that will completely change your life. Let me just give you the one. I had this powerful example that happened to me in the seventh grade. When I was in the seventh grade, I was sort of a mutt, okay? I was a troublemaker. But I had this one teacher. He was a science teacher. One day, you know what he told me sitting in class? He said, Byron, you're brilliant. You're going to be a scientist. I, he had no reason to say that in the natural. But you know what happened in that class? I became brilliant in that class. And I did become an engineer. That guy, was he was calling something out of me that was in me that he saw. Well, I went right from that class to my next class, and that woman said, Byron, I'm telling you right now, you're nothing but a troublemaker. I'm watching you. I will fail you if you don't straighten yourself up. I heard that constantly. I barely got through that class. And that was an easy class. The science class was really difficult. The other class was just like one of the classes you could just breeze through. Why was I failing in that class? Struck Because that woman was speaking to me, you know, based on the outside of me. She wasn't calling forth the real me. She wasn't calling out the real Byron out. But when that man called the real Byron, I'll never forget that man. I will never forget him for the rest of my life. At that point, he was the first person who ever spoke anything to me that believed in me. I never had anybody tell me something like that. You know, and I will never forget. I'll go to my, close my eyes on this earth thinking that man did me the biggest favor. Isn't that powerful when God does something like that? Okay. If 
Now, last week I talked to you about how our image of God, you know, and I gave you that parable of the talents, how that man with the one talent, his whole life was whacked because the way he saw God as being hard, being difficult, reaping where he did not sow. Therefore, that man's life was totally affected by his bad view of God. Okay? So that's really key. But this week I want to tell you about the other side. It's God's view of us. God's image of us. Okay, you following this? Are y'all okay? You don't look okay. <laughs> Ooh, mercy, Lord. Yeah. All right, just let me tell you a few things. These are the thoughts about the word image comes from, you know, it's part of the word imagination. It's the way you see, okay? Everybody in this room sees themselves in a certain way. You know, in other words, and we also see each other in a certain way. I can look at Nathan Moore. I have a certain image of Nathan Moore. It may not be right. It really may not be right. But I have an image of him. He has an image of me. And we all have an image of ourselves. But the real key, what's God's image of us? See, because we can look at each other. We can think about our image. But what is his image? What is he saying? What's, what's his saying about our image? Okay, that's, that's really what we've got to get. Let me give you a couple of things about self-image. Uh, it comes from imagination. Self-image is the view a person holds of himself or herself. Uh, it's the estimate of one makes of oneself. Uh, sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it's not. Okay? Some days you may feel good about yourself, right? Some days you don't feel good about yourself. Uh, you know what? Some, here's, for me, if I feel like I'm getting... Uh, uh, you know, in, like in the exercise part of my life. If I feel like I'm being slack and undisciplined about exercise, like, oh, you know, I think I'm just not going to go to the gym, or I don't really want to run, you know, just... And then after a while, though, I start feeling... I start struggling. I, don't, I start feeling bad about the image of myself because I'm being, like, I'm just being lazy. I don't like to be lazy. That's not who I am. So I begin to struggle with my self-image, okay? But then there's sometimes I feel great about myself. Okay, so we're, you know, that's, it's, it's sort of a change in there because we are, we're a body, we're a soul, we're a spirit. We're all three of those, and God wants all of those to work in harmony. You know, you can't just divide like, well, I'm really spiritual, but I'm a, I'm a slob otherwise. I mean, you, you can't divide that out. If you're real spiritual, you know, <laughs> you'll start cleaning up that slob part of your life eventually. May not right away. Uh, so we all have mixed feelings. They fluctuate. Uh, some people, you know, some people are, uh, they, they're not conscious. You know, some days we're not conscious of how we feel about ourselves. Some people are never conscious about why they feel about themselves because they have so much pain about themselves. So they can't deal with being conscious about how they feel about themselves. It's hidden. Now, you see a lot, a lot of this with people who have addictions, really bad addictions. Because they are hurting so bad on the inside. Are y'all following this? They're hurting so bad, they can't bear to look at themselves. Now, I've had this. I've had this with people. Okay? It's like for a moment, they'll open up, and they, they could be like very angry and aggressive one moment, and then begin to weep and say, I'm just full of this pain. I'm just, you know, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, they really they catch themselves. What they're doing, they'll slam the door shut on you. Because they, they're seeing themselves and they realize there's something bad in there. 
that's causing them to do what they're doing, but they can't deal with it. So they keep that hidden. You understand what I'm talking about? Some people have such a bad uh, self-image that they're, they're live. They're just full of self-doubt. They're full of inferiority. They have this sense of worthlessness constantly working on them. Anybody know about that? I lived my life like that for years, is I just felt worthless. Constantly, I just struggled with my self-image so bad. Because like I said, I had one person for the first 20 years of my life that ever said anything that called out the real me. Had that one person. So I just I struggled so much with my self-image. You know, and even after I became a Christian, I, you know, so a lot of the crazy things and bad things you see people do is rooted in this thing called self-image because the devil knows if he can get you there, he can get your life. Why do you think young girls throw themselves at guys? Beautiful young women throw themselves at these guys because they're self-image. And they're thinking, hey, shoot that guy. Shoot him. You should never throw yourself at him. They don't deserve you. You're, you know, you don't have to do that with yourself. But they're so hurting on the inside. Hmm. Anyways, I used to be one of those people. I'm not anymore. Thank you, Lord. All right, now, let me finally read you a scripture, something out of the Bible, so you think this is a real message from heaven instead of just me blabbering to you. All right. Are you, I've been talking for 25 minutes. Is that too long? All right, this is Hebrews 2. This is a powerful scripture, but one, and this is great. But one testified in a certain place. The, the one is, comes from the Psalms. I think Psalms 2 is one of them, Psalms 8 is the other. This is the question. What is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? That's the question. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? In other words, what is God's view of us? That God would care about us, to take care of us. What's, what does he see when he sees us? And that's the question that what I'm trying to present to you today, we have to answer that question. Because when we answer that question, it will change your life. Because God wants to reveal to every person, this is how I see. This is what I see about you. This is why I care about you. This is not talking about Jesus Christ. This is little M and little son of man. Then it says, you have made him a little lower than the angels. Let me tell you something interesting. You know, that comes from Psalm 8. And you know what the original Hebrew says there? It doesn't say angels. This is crazy. I don't know why this is. I haven't had time to research this enough. It says, you have made him a little lower than Elohim. You know who Elohim is? It's God himself. For some reason, they said angels. But the original Hebrew in the, in the psalm says, God made men a little lower than himself. That's pretty powerful. See, that right there is packed with revelation. i tell you one revelation it is. Devil, you're under defeat. I, am, I was born above you, son. I mean, I'm born above you. That'll really set you free. It's really good. You have crowned him with glory and honor. That's powerful. And set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. That's pretty good. Now, when I was a young Christian, after I became a uh, became saved, uh, it was 
you know, the revelation in the church was different then than it is now. We have a lot more revelation than we had then. Here's what the revelation, the revelation then was sort of went like this. And they, it, I don't know if it was ever really said, but it was communicated. It was communicated that you, you are not valuable. You're not valuable. And if you can, if you'll look at yourself as being little and small, then God will be more attracted to you. Does anybody know about that, Ralph? And so we lived under that kind of thought that we were not, we're just, we're just worthless. Okay? And it was half true. Because the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen, what? Short of the glory. Right? So from that perspective, oh, we are just totally messed up. But that wasn't the end of the story. Then it flipped over to the other side of the cross, and it says we are the righteousness of Christ. And so they weren't really communicating. We're not being communicated how valuable we are to God. And so we had this thing called false humility on us that said, no, we're worthless. Here's the Harry Bazell story. I think Harry actually did this. I can't remember. He told me about it at least. There was a preacher, and he was preaching a really fine message. I mean, a really fine one. And Harry went to him after the message and said, man, that was a great message. It's awesome. And the preacher said, oh, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. And Harry looked at him and said, it wasn't that good. And walked off. That's pretty good, isn't it? It wasn't me. It was the Lord. It wasn't that good, pal. Come on. You know? If it was God preaching, he would nothing would have, you know. Well, that's sort of the, the thoughts in those days. Oh, it wasn't me. It was just all God. Now, heck, it wasn't. Come on. You know, John the Apostle, I promise you, wrote the Gospel of John. I promise you he wrote it. But I promise you he was very conscious. It wasn't like he was in a trance and the Holy Spirit took his hand and he was writing something and then he came to him. Wow, look what I just wrote. No, he was sitting there with his thoughts. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, getting thoughts from heaven and writing them down. God uses his man. He mixes himself with us to communicate himself. It ain't none of this business. Oh, it was just all God. That's not true. Now, Paul said, don't think too highly of yourself. And the reason he was saying that, this is really the truth. Thinking too highly of yourself is the, same, the other side of that same coin of a bad self-image. It's a bad self-image. And people think too highly of themselves because they're trying to prop themselves up and make themselves something. You know, either way, God's going to resist you. If, you, if, you. if you've got this false humility thing, God's not going to help you. And if you've got a pride thing, He's just going to flat resist you. He's just going to like, mm. Are y'all following this? So, uh, great, another great example that I sort of learned is about job interviews, okay? When a person goes on a job interview, most people, unless they really don't want the job and they're being made to go on the job, they dress up. They clean up. They brush their teeth. You know, they wash behind their ears. They comb their hair. You know, they put on some nice clothes and go really try to talk. Really nice and good, and act like they know what they're talking about, right? That's, that's what you do. I mean, you don't go in like some kind of bum. You know, like you just woke up Saturday afternoon, you've been washed, you know, washing the car, cutting grass. You wouldn't just go to a job interview in that state. Well, here's what the problem is. Those people look good. They sound good. They hire them. And within a month, the real person shows up at work because it was all an outward thing. It wasn't the inside. And see, what we had to become is we had to become our outside really has to be what's really inside of us. And our 
inside must be what's outside. That's really what living from your heart really is. That's really being your real self. You're not having to become something special. You are something special. You're just living from what's already in you. Because otherwise, you're going to have to really work real hard all the time, acting like you're something you're not. And one day, the mask is going to slip. The mask is going to slip one day, and they're going to say, Ah, I knew you was a jerk. I knew it. You couldn't be that good. You're a jerk. I knew it. Right? Uh, Well, let me just throw this little thing at you. People who wear a mask, here's the problem with the mask. Everything the mask is getting, like if the mask is getting compliments, if the mask is getting blessings, if the mask is getting it, you're not getting it. You see the fallacy in that? You're trying to present yourself to be something that you crave this affirmation. Everybody's affirming your mask. Your mask is not letting it come to you. Your mask is getting it. That's why you've got to get the mask off. I found that out. Are y'all, are y'all following this? All right, so here's what the world is constantly telling you how much you're lacking, right? You're not measuring up. You don't have the best hairstyle. You don't make enough money. You know, you don't live in a night. That's what the world is constantly feeding us and trying to convince us that we're not measuring up. We need to do something about it. Here's the thing about the church now. The church does the same thing. It just, I'm just going to give the church credit since I'm part of the church that we're not doing it on purpose. But we've been guilty of saying stuff like this to people. Well, you don't love the Lord enough. You don't give enough money. You don't attend church enough. You're not reading the Bible enough. You're not praying enough. Okay? Now, that's what we communicate to people. Uh, Lots of times it's it's like a riding on other words. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know? Now, here's the truth. Probably ain't giving enough. (laughs) Probably not loving the Lord enough. You know? Probably not serving enough. I could say that about myself all day. Well, hang on. They were right. But here's the way you do it. Instead of wearing people out with it and pushing them down about it, you begin to speak prophetically to them. You begin to tell them. <laughs> you begin to tell them who they really are. It's like with my science teacher. He told me who I really was, and guess what? Science became easy to me. It wasn't a burden to do science. I wanted to do science. I desired to do science. So when we begin to speak people's destiny and speak their real identity to them, if they're a giver. They're not going to be stingy. They're going to want to give. If they're a lover, they're going to love passionately. Nobody's going to be making them. They're going to love the Word. You don't have to beat them to pray. You don't have to. All that stuff goes out the window because people are doing it because it's coming out of their heart. Because we're trying to change people from the outside, and Jesus never tried to change a person from the outside. He always was speaking. You ever wonder why Jesus would say crazy stuff to people? I mean, he said some crazy stuff to people. Like, what is he talking about? The guy was asking him one question, and he's talking about something else. You know why? Because he was speaking right into their heart. He was addressing their heart. You know? Do y'all, do y'all get that? And, and he knew if he could get their hearts, uh, well, you know, in fundraising, they say if you get their hearts, you can get their hands, you can get their pocketbook. So you go out, you know, so they show you pictures of children that are suffering. It touches our heart. Like, oh, God, we've got to do something. You know, that's, that's why they do it, because they know you can hit the heart. And so that's, that's how Jesus operated. He spoke to the heart. I don't know if y'all are getting this or not. <laughs> uh, 
You know, here's another thing. I'm just trying to give you some examples. When a, when a child is born, he's either born a male or a female, correct? I mean, there's no in-between. Now, I know here's how the devil, the latest version of the devil attacking our, our image, our identity, is by convincing some people, well, really, you were supposed to be able convincing some guy, like, you're supposed to be a girl. You know? I mean, that's, isn't that the ultimate attack on a person's identity? Go have a surgery and you'll be a girl. You know, you can... It's not true. They can go have a surgery and look like a girl and talk like a girl, but inside they're a man. And, and the same thing with a woman. See, that's that's that. But here's the key. You don't have... If I didn't have to do nothing to be, be a man. I was born that way. Okay? I was just flat born. All I had to do was grow up. If you're a girl, you didn't have to do anything to be a girl. You'll grow up and be a woman. You'll just grow up. And so we're a new creation in Christ. All we got to do is grow up and be that. Be who God said we are. And He calls out who we really are. He speaks to who we really are and says, This is who you are. You're not a bum. You're, you're awesome. All right. Now, I've tried my best to convince you about what I'm talking about. All right. Now, there's... If you study, okay, self-image is made up of four things. And the, those four things are found in Mark 1, 9 through 11. I want to read Mark 1, 9 through 11 to you. Whew. All right, this is a powerful verse in the Bible. You know, I've read this to you many times. This, can, this verse can change your life. Uh, actually, I was thinking, you know, sometimes you think about stuff more than you talk about it, right? So in your mind, you've thought about it a million times, and you think you've talked about it a million times, and you know. But just in case if I've read this verse a million times and you're bored with it, this is one million and one. Please don't be bored with this verse. Live, if you'll get this, this will change your life, okay? Uh, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the, in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw heaven... Parting makes you want to be baptized, right? Hey, this is the baptismal experience. I want this. Remember the word parting does not mean open like a curtain. It means like the curtain was ripped open. It wasn't just like some nice gentleman. It was like the heavens were ripped open over Jesus. This is, this is really important for us, okay? You know, the heavens were ripped open, uh, and the, he saw heavens parting, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. He saw... Jesus, listen, Jesus saw the Holy Spirit. People say you can't see the Holy Spirit. He saw Him. He had a form of a dove. You and I can see the Holy Spirit. Becky's seen the Holy Spirit. She has. She told me about it. I couldn't know what she was seeing. Then she talked to somebody else who knew more than I did. And they said, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. So, you, you know, God can reveal us. See, see, people say stuff. Well, that's not in the Bible. Jesus saw Him. We can, so I'm just trying to debunk these lies that people believe. So you can see the Holy Spirit is legal. It's in the Bible. Jesus did it. We can do it, right? I'm sort of believing that. Jesus is perfect theology. He's our example. Let's follow him. Let's do what he did. He's the way. That's the way it's going to work for us. or supposed to. That's exciting. All right. He saw this. And then a voice came from heaven. Anybody been hearing any voices like I'm telling you this, in the spiritual realm, there's lots of noise, there's lots of talking, there's lots of communication going on in the spiritual world. If you start hearing things and you're connecting in the spiritual world, that's probably a good thing. You know? At one point, people thought it was just thunder. See, other people may not 
connect, it just be a noise to them, but you as words is something God's saying to you. He's speaking to you because God's talking. This is it. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So there's four things in this, in this verse that, that make up our self-image. I'll tell you right quick. Number one is love. Number one is a sense of dignity or self-worth. Number, that's number two. Number three is approval. And number four is security. That we have to have all three of those, all four of those things if we're going to have a true, whole, and healthy self-image. Those four is what makes it up. Are you following what I told, just said? Let me just go through them. Number one, the Father told Jesus, I love you, okay? I love you. And so if we're going to be happy and live a contented life and be able to get through this life in this hard world, okay, we cannot do it without knowing that we're loved because the world's hard. There's a lot of difficult things, and we need to know no, no matter what happens that we're people who are loved, right? I mean, that's the most important thing there is in the Bible is knowing that we're loved, when I was first saved, I had this issue about being loved. I knew the Bible says, God, for God so loved the world, He gave His Son. He gave His Son for love. But I never had that as a personal experience. It was like, no, Byron, for I so loved you, I gave my Son. I, it's you. It's personal you. It's not just the world. It's you. It has to, we have to know that. And, and this is something we have to continue, continue walking in. When we feel loved, okay, it gives us a boldness. It gives us a boldness with other people in our relationships. It gives us a boldness in, in what we're doing in our life. A, a true boldness and a confidence really gets released into our hearts when we know we're loved. Paul the Apostle said this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1. This is what he said you and I were supposed to do with our life. Pursue love and cultivate the spiritual. That's the two things that we should do. Pursue love and cultivate the spiritual. If you, that's, a, that's a literal a translation of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. And so our lives should always be about receiving more of God's love into our heart, understanding more of His love and asking for more of that. The more, you, more understanding you have of God's love, the more you experience, the more you can love other people. And cultivating the spiritual. Okay, that's, that's what He said to do. That's what we should do, Right? That's exciting. We have permission to do those two things. Okay? When a person doesn't feel loved, okay, they feel alone, they feel isolated, and they feel depressed. That's what happens to us. When we don't have this love working in our life, we start to start getting this isolated feeling. We start feeling down. That's what a lot of depression that people have is because they're they don't deep down in their heart they don't feel loved. Pretty big, big thing. I talked to. Uh, are y'all okay? <laughs> I talked to a lady recently who worked in a psych ward, okay, in a hospital. She's like a, you know, dealt with people who were messed up really bad in their minds. And I was talking about this father's love stuff, and she said, "Hey, I never heard that before. That could help my patients. I believe that's their problem. I believe that's one of their problems. They don't feel love. They need to know that somebody loves them. That would just help." I think she was saying, I think it'll cure them. Because she was trying to figure out, take what I said, and how to figure out how to put it in, you know, medical, you know, say it in a way that they could get it without getting fired, I guess. You know, I don't know why they would, but isn't that powerful, though? Somebody, a professional person like that would see that, like, that's what's wrong with these people. That's why they've lost their minds. It's because they don't, they don't know that they're loved. And, and God created us for love. 
And if we're lacking that, we could actually be real messed up. The second one is a sense of dignity or worth. He said, you are my son. Jesus knew he was a son. Now listen to this. This uh, sense of dignity is what really gives us our identity. It really is what makes us legitimate as people. That we feel like we have a right to live. We have a right to be here. We belong. We're not outside looking in. Okay? And it gives us a lot of ability, okay, to be able to do the things we're supposed to do in life because we have a knowing in ourselves that we are legitimate. We're not some illegitimate operation here. We're real. We're the real deal. We belong. And a lot of people don't feel that. A lot of people feel like they're on the outside looking in. They don't feel legitimate. They don't have self-worth. And consequently, they don't show self-worth to other people. They don't, they treat people. Everybody, listen, everybody on this planet deserves dignity. Everybody. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It's even, you know, in the prison system, they really try to give these guys, they're fixing to execute, you know, like murderers and stuff, they're going to execute. They try to show them dignity as they're executing because they understand human beings deserve dignity. Nobody doesn't. Nobody needs to be treated without, you know, like, you know, you don't deserve dignity. People do stuff they shouldn't do. But everybody has dignity if they'll receive it. Because God has given us dignity. And to take a person's dignity away from them is really a sad, sad, wrong thing. You know? And without dignity, you'll never have a good self-image about yourself. You'll always be clamoring for something, trying to get that self-worth out of things that won't give it to you. Are you all following this? Okay, the third thing is approval. Okay? I think, for me, growing up, I think, you know, the, this approval thing really worked hard on me because approval leads to confidence. Okay? That's where you really get confidence at. And when that man approved me, it gave me confidence. Okay? Confidence got released into my life. Okay? Now, last week I read Acts 2.22. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved, man approved by God to you. Jesus had God's approval. And then it goes on and talks about all the miracles, all the signs and wonders that he did. He had confidence to do what he was doing. A lot of Christians have a callings, they have anointings, they have power, but they don't have confidence to do it. You know, when you get approval from God, you have the confidence. It gives you confidence to do. It gives you confidence. I think it's the key to operating in miracles and power. It's because you've got approval from God to do it, and now you can release the power that's resident inside of you. Isn't that good? All right, so that's three things so far. One is love. One is a sense of dignity and worth. And number three is approval from God. Uh, I'm well pleased with you is what Jesus said. What the Father said is, I am well pleased. He gave this. I'm giving you my stamp of approval. All right, number four is security. Okay, security. Now, security is not exactly like a, a confidence in the fact that confidence is internal. It's internal. Security is external. It's that you feel secure in the world you, you're in. If you go and read the rest of those, those passages I read to you, the first thing that happened to Jesus, he had to face the devil. And the devil began to attack his identity. You know, but Jesus wasn't afraid. He felt very confident in who he was. He felt very secure in the environment. He didn't feel exposed. Now, you know, I remember, have you ever gone into a room of people 
and you felt insecure? You know that feeling? Just like, ooh, you know, you don't feel like you belonged or you just were so self-conscious. You lack the security thing operating in your life. You know? And so you saw everything going on in the room through these eyes that didn't feel secure. You, and so you had to protect yourself. Okay? And so some people protect themselves by being wallflowers. Some people protect themselves by being the life of the party. But it's all the same thing because they don't feel secure where they're at. They don't feel secure in their surroundings. I mean, I really suffered with that for a long time. But when, when I really came into this revelation of who I really am, it was literally like I took these glasses off and the world around me looked completely different. Completely different. Because I saw myself different. That was the first thing. Remember, I imagined myself different. My image of myself had changed. I began to see who I really was. So, love. One. Right? Two. Dignity. Three. Approval. Which is confidence. Inner confidence. And four. Is secure in your environment. Where you're at. You won't feel threatened. You won't feel like, you know, they're out to get me. I had this neighbor one time. He was a black guy. He lived in a white, he was the only white guy in the neighborhood, and he was constantly telling me that, like, these guys are out to get me. I said, what guys? He said, the KKK. He literally lived, well, he was on drugs. He was, a co- he, was, he was on cocaine, so it made him very insecure, and he kept talking about, well, he liked me for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably because I fed, fed his Rockwilders <laughs> pork chops because <laughs> he had these huge dogs. But he, can't, but he felt he didn't feel secure in the neighborhood because he was the only black guy in the whole neighborhood. And he felt very like everybody was out to get him and, you know. And I kept saying, Richard, ain't nobody out to get you. Everybody loves you. You're a great guy. People don't even, it's, it's, these people are colorblind. They're not thinking about your race. Yes, they are, Byron. I know they are. I've heard people back there in the woods behind my house. You know, it was because that he felt, he didn't feel secure in his environment. You know, he was only using these drugs that were, which were meth was messing him up. And there's a lot of people like that in the world. You know, they just feel don't feel secure for whatever reason. And there's probably people sitting in this room that feel don't feel approved. Got a terrible self-image. And here's what I'm telling you: is God wants to do something about it. You know, because God has called you to carry His Himself in this earth. And release himself in this earth. You've got himself in you. So why don't let's just stand up. Is this is, did the Lord speak to anybody in this room? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you today, Lord, that you've sent your son. Lord, to give every one of us a sense of who we really are. Lord, to bring us back to our real identity, Father. And Lord, we just reach out to you now for more of that, Daddy. Just come in this room right now. Lord, I know there are people in this room that need to know who they are. Lord, who feel lost, who feel abandoned, do not feel a sense of love, do not feel secure, Lord. And we're just asking you right now, Lord, to just... Bring the breath of heaven here, Lord. Lord, we are asking you for that same sense, Lord, 
that same experience, Lord, that you gave Jesus. Lord, if he needed it, we need it. And so right now, we just let's just stand for a minute. And I really, this is really what I'm feeling, okay, is if we, the church, don't walk in this, how can we ever give it away to the world around us? How can we ever bring the lost really into the Father's heart if we ourselves don't have a real reality of this thing? Do you understand what I'm saying? And sitting in there the whole time Byron was preaching, going through this message twice, is I really just began to see, you know, that really what the church is meant to do is to bring a lost world back to this place, of, to our real identity, of really being loved by the Father, of knowing who we are. But if we're not walking in it, how will we ever release it to people around us? How will we ever do it? Let's just wait. I mean, you know, let's wait on the Lord a minute. This is, this is real. This is just really what we're called to be and to do. It's powerful. Oh, yeah. People think we just, Jesus came just to save us from our sin. It's just not true. Oh, yeah, thank you. There's the heavenly dove coming down in the room. Hmm. Woo, you feel that? Woo. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Whoa. More revelation, Lord. More, just bring it. Woo. Let's release that revelatory realm right now. Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job to release this to you, to me. Oh, come, Lord. More. We're asking for more. Mmm. Mmm. Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that price you paid. Mmm. It's really interesting. I preached this very message yesterday to my nephew, who's quadriplegic, been laying in a bed for 11 years. But the thing I was able to release to him just because he's laying there in that bed does not mean that he can have all that God has for him in that state even. He can know his identity. He can know he's a son. And that will rock his world right where he is. And then yesterday I was with my family. My last aunt died and we were all the family was together and I've told y'all this before my family my extended family a lot of drugs a lot of alcohol and but we really love each other and but this was the thing I was seeing yesterday I was seeing with the father's eyes so many times when we're Christians in an environment we'll stand stiff as a board around something like that but this is what I saw I saw exactly what Byron was preaching today I saw with the Father's eyes, I could look at people and see their real identity. Just could see it. I just wanted to go and just prophesy over them and say, Oh, oh, this is just, this is amazing who God's called you to be. 
this is incredible. I just could see it. I just wanted to go. There were so many there, but it just wasn't the right place. And that's what the church is called to do. That's what we're called to be. But we'll never be able to do it if we don't see it for ourselves. And I tell you, we've got to contend for this, for our identity in the Lord. It's true. We've got to contend. How many of you feel like you've got enough of it? Raise your hand. There's a hand in this room and go up. Brianna's got it. We got to go after more because we don't have enough yet. That spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, let it flow. Let it flow. Let it flow in this place, Lord, more. More. See, the problem with us is we get just enough. We just get it just enough to inoculate us. There's just so much more. I'm really excited because I believe there is, there is a realm of evangelism we're getting ready to walk in like we've never seen before. And it's calling sons and daughters home. That's really what we're going after is calling the sons and the daughters. You know what? There's son, this, is the different, this is what the Bible teaches us. The prodigal story. There's sons in the house that are lost. The elder brother was lost. He did not know his identity. He didn't know it. He lived with the father the whole time. Why did he say you've been here this whole time and you didn't even know that all I have is yours? Those are the law. That's, that's the believers. That's us. Then you've got the prodigals all out there living lavishly. Don't know. So I tell you what my heart's burning with right now is evangelism. So I want you to just reach your hand up right now. And let's say, Father, we're just asking you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We want to go deeper into knowing that we're sons and we're daughters. Our full identity. Full identity. Full identity. 100%. Fill us right now, Lord. We want to know who we are. We want to walk in all that you have for us. By revelation. Not by theology. But by revelation. Oh, let it come. Oh, let it fall.